Thanks, John David. Appreciate you filling in for Derek this morning. Thank you, everybody, for coming out to be with us. You've heard the slogan before, the few, the proud, the... Maybe you haven't heard that slogan before. Never mind. The few, the proud, the Marines, right? Uh, It's going to be changed. The few, the proud, those that come to church in February during flu season. That's what it's going to be. Um, We had a ton of people I know who called in with our children's ministry today saying, hey, we're not coming because... We have sick kids, and we don't want to spread it to um, everybody else's kids. Uh, if you have been dealing with that, I feel your pain. Um, many of you know that a couple of weeks ago, I had the flu myself. I know what everybody is going through. Uh, so we have a lot of our own that need to be um, kept in prayer as they are struggling with this. Um, also, be in prayer for our uh, youth ministry. Many of them are heading back uh, here in just a little bit. Uh, I've got um, some 80 to 90 that are up in Gatlinburg. Uh, today for, I've been there for Winterfest this weekend, so be mindful of them. Also be mindful of our uh, young adults, our yaks. A lot of those guys went to a retreat um, camp out at Fall Creek Falls. Yes, they went when it was going to rain. We love them. Didn't say they were smart. We love them. Remember, you can adopt a yak here and train them up in the way that they should go. Uh, We also have a group that... uh, is flying out today to Honduras, Uh, so please uh, be keeping that mission in in your prayer as well. So uh, we've got a lot of our church family traveling, doing uh, many different things uh, today. We are are thankful for for you being able to be here. If you are visiting uh, today, if you're one of our guests, we do want you to know that if you have uh, teens, uh, middle schoolers or high schoolers, uh, there will be a class um, after our worship time in our Family Life Center, that's our uh, gymnasium area, uh, in our teen center that's there. Uh, And so the um, kiddos can go and be a part of that. Uh, Yaks, those of you that are are here also, there's going to be a class in your usual area as well, so don't forget about that. And for the rest of us, there'll be places to go around campus. You can see the list of classes on the back of your glory, praise, and honor. We hope you'll take advantage of, of being a part of that. And like I said, we are glad that you're here. We're going through a series of of lessons that are very important to us as a congregation right now. You see on the front of your glory, praise, and honor information about the vision for East Brainerd and also a list of of values. And we're kind of working through uh, different texts to see how those values come to life in Scripture and talk about how that they are going to be seen within our own congregation. And so If you've been with us for a while and said, you know, what is East Brainerd about? Or what is East Brainerd going to be about? Uh, Hopefully these lessons that you've been uh, participating in have helped with that. If you want to catch up, just go online. Uh, Go to our website, www.eastbrainerdchurch.org, and you can uh, pull up the different lessons that we have here. We also encourage you to sign up for our podcast, and you can can pick these up each week there as as well. Today I want to ask you if you believe in anything anymore. Is there anything that is true? Because we live in a time where it seems that everything is fake. At least that's what we're told. Everything from fake lashes to fake tans to fake news, right? And you just wonder, is there anything that I can truly believe in? Now I started asking this question to myself back in 2006. Because in 2006, something happened that it kind of shook my world. It didn't destroy it. Now, it destroyed some people's, but 
In 2006, it was determined that Pluto was no longer a planet. You guys remember that when that happened? Now, if you were here and currently in elementary school, middle school, high school, you have never known Pluto to be a planet. Can you guys believe that? There are people here who never knew Pluto was a planet. But for those of us who are more seasoned in years, you know it to be true. I mean, there is a picture. It's Pluto. It's a planet. And you learn the mnemonic device to help you, right? My very educated or earnest mother, what? I heard just stole Uncle Neptune's pants. I heard that before, right? Uh, different ways to be able to and to remember, but do you remember putting the model together where you had to get all the planets? Maybe it looked something like this, this picture here. You had to have them all right. And look, and Pluto was out there. I mean, Pluto was the last one. It was that little small one, but everybody loved Pluto, right? Pluto, if, if you left Pluto off your model, guess what? You failed your model. You didn't know your solar system. And that was until 2006 when you were told, no, there are no longer nine planets. There are only eight. And so now you have pictures like this. But we know that, right? I mean, we, we know that, that there's really nine planets. We know that Pluto is still out there. It didn't just disappear. I mean, the next thing you're going to tell me is there really weren't four beetles, Right? <laughs> That Ringo somehow just didn't count, and now there's only, there's only three. But we know there's, there's four, right? And, and three stooges, we all know that, right? Say it, Larry, Moe, and, right? It wasn't just Larry and Moe, but oh, people can say, ah, no, not anymore, right? I mean, if you can take Pluto out of the list of planets, then I guess you can just have three beetles, I guess you can only have two stooges. If Pluto can be here one minute and then gone the next, then I guess that explains why Caitlyn Jenner used to go by Bruce and why marriage used to be defined as a union between a man and a woman. Because if you can take a planet and say, well, you know what, it no longer matters because it just doesn't fit the criteria anymore, well, then I guess you can say that there are some lives that don't matter, believing that they don't measure up to the criteria now. Is it really even a wonder why people today, and maybe some of you, say, I just don't know if I can believe in anything anymore. I just doubt that anything is actually real and true. Well, what if I were to tell you that there is reality and that there is truth and that there is something for you to believe in? Would you even listen to me? I hope you will, just for a few minutes. See, the ancient Greek culture had a word that was synonymous for reality. Reality, that being the opposite of imagination. It was a word for fact. It was a word that meant you can take this to the bank because this right here is real. And when the Apostle John wrote his good news about Jesus, he used this word 25 times. 25 times he would say, this is real. 25 times he would say, there is fact 
25 times he would say, here is something that can be believed in. Let me show you that word. We heard it earlier in our reading from Scripture. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Why don't you read it with me there on the screen? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, in John's world, the law came through Moses, and grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John's gospel, I am the way and the truth and the life. You see, truth is not abstract. It is a real, live person. It isn't just something that is intellectual. It is something that is personal. Truth isn't just something that is mental. It is a personalized, is a personalized understanding. Truth, as it says, is a person, not a precept. It is embodied in the human being, the God-man, Jesus. Jesus said, I am truth. And truth in John's gospel is always connected to Jesus Christ. Which is why Pilate's question at the end of the gospel is really ironic. Pilate, standing before Jesus, says, what's truth? He says, what, what, just tell me, what, what is truth? A question that many people are asking today. Is there anything that's real? Is there anything that can be believed? Is there anything that is actually true? And there was Jesus standing in front of Pilate. Truth was robust and nuanced and complicated. But John tries to make it clear throughout his good news that truth has everything to do with Jesus. Jesus is God's word of truth. And I just wonder how much, how much could we have avoided? How much pain could we have avoided have we just listened to Scripture to find truth as it comes to God? That it's not a what, but it's a, it's a who. Instead of searching constantly for, for more rules and more legalisms, we would have just listened to Jesus. Instead of trying to chase after every snake oil salesman and every type of bottle or pill or relationship that we thought would bring meaning and and purpose to our lives, we would have just chased after Jesus because we would have understood that's truth. See, Jesus was God's way of communicating to us. He was God's word of truth. He is the message, and he was the message that people have been waiting centuries for. Now, a lot of people today don't know what it's like to have to wait on messages anymore. I mean, you send a text to somebody, and if you have to wait two minutes to get a reply, you're like, they died. They're gone. I mean, they're just, they're just gone because if they were alive, they would have responded back to me somehow. And then if you have to wait for five minutes, you're like, well, they're going to be dead. If they're not dead, they are going to be dead. And yet, anybody remember what it used to be like to send a message? You had to take out a piece of paper and a pen. And you had to write something. 
And then you had to, to put that into an envelope, and, and then you had to go to the post office, and you had to, to buy something called a stamp. And you had to, to lick that stamp and get it all in your tongue, and yeah, lick it, and you stick it on there. And then you had to go and choose between in town and the out of town slot. And you would drop that message in one or the other. And then you would go home and wait and wait because somehow through the magic of the postal system that message would get taken from the post office and it would go to somebody else's mailbox not something on their computer but but an actual box that was out in front of their house and and they would go and and take your message out and they would open it up and they would sit and read it and then they would respond by taking out a piece of paper and a pen and they would write words and they would go to the post office and they would get a stamp and they would nick the stamp and they would pick it on that and they would choose in town, out of town and they would put it in the slot and all this time you've been going to that little box outside of your house and you've been waiting and waiting and waiting. That's what it used to be like when you were wanting to get a message. Jesus is the message that the world had been waiting for. Waiting for God to speak. And when he did, he spoke through Jesus. And John says that when he spoke, he spoke filled with grace and truth. It means that there's not one more grain of truth, one more drop of grace that could be placed into Jesus. He was filled with it. You couldn't get any more truth into him. I appreciate Mark Buchanan's take on this. He writes that Jesus was bursting at the seams with both grace and truth. He says everything he is, everything he does drips truth and exudes grace. There's never a moment when Jesus runs short on either. If Jesus were facing an enemy or dealing with disappointment or saw a beautiful woman or was betrayed by a friend or met a gay man or was given a million dollars or whatever, what he would say, what he would do would be the perfection of grace and truth. You see, he was the message that we had hoped for but never thought could really be true. At one time, if we wanted to talk with God, we just waited until the evening. And God would come walking through the garden. That's how it worked with our first parents. We sing the hymn, And he walks with me and he talks with me. It's more a longing than a statement of fact. A longing for another place and another time. But that access was broken. And it was broken the same way that it becomes broken today. Adam and Eve let other voices drown out the voice of God. Let other voices get into their head. You see, Christ wants to be the word of truth in our life. But it's a noisy world. And Google is saying, this is what truth is. And YouTube says, this is what truth is. And Twitter shouts, this is truth. And your friends at school say, this is truth. And the guys on the news say, this is truth. And that that best friend that you grew up with has his truth and, and there's a truth for your coworkers and a truth for your boss and 
Seems like every church on the corner has truth. And Jesus is going, I am truth. If you'll listen to me, if you'll hear me, and yet these noises crowd out God. For Adam and Eve, it broke the relationship. God no longer walked with them in the evening breeze. Cast out of their home, they might have thought that it was over. They would never hear from God again. But he continued to reach out in stunning and in a variety of ways. The writers of Hebrews says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets and at many times in various ways. But in these latter days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Patriarchs and priests, kings, prophets, teachers, men, women, artists, songwriters, all throughout history came to us sharing the word of God. And then God sent a direct message. It was instant. And that message was Jesus, his word, his truth. You see, Jesus not only told us about God, he told us he was God. And according to Hebrews chapter 1, he was the very representation, the exact image of God. And God didn't want his message to get garbled. He didn't want it to get lost in all the noise. And the fascinating thing is we have so many ways to communicate these days, yet it seems like we understand each other less and less. We email, we text, we post pictures on Instagram, we tweet, we even use emojis. And still people wonder, what does that mean? What are you trying to say? What are all the hashtags? Face-to-face is still the best. And so Jesus comes as a direct message from God. And he said, this is who I am. He said, this is grace. He said, this is truth. Why are you listening to other voices? Here's what kindness looks like. Here's what goodness does. Here is how forgiveness works. Here is how life was meant to be lived. You wonder what God thinks of you? Look at Jesus. He'll tell you. You wonder what God sounds like? Listen to Jesus. You'll find out. You wonder what God thinks about a woman in this situation or a man in that situation? Well, you just look and you listen to Jesus. Jesus demonstrated truth by how he treated Samaritan and Jew, how he treated fallen women and fallen men, how he talked to men and women, those of high status, those of low status. What did he do? He loved the occupied and the occupier. He loved the stranger and the citizen. He came filled with grace and truth. You see, Jesus is the truth of God. He is reality. He is real. And in a world that seems to try to convince you that every new thing down the pipe is something that is real and to be believed, there is a standard that has stood the test of time. Jesus of Nazareth. And you know, I love the stories. I love the stories of Israel recorded in the Old Testament. And I enjoy reading the writings of Paul and the other New Testament authors. But I've got to hear Jesus speak before I can understand Paul. I've got to to watch Jesus walk before I can understand what the law and the commandments were all pointing toward. Jesus is the definitive word of God. 
He is grace and he is truth with skin and bones. And he became just as you and I are. And he takes you just as you are so that he can make you just as he is. Full of grace and truth. Paul's favorite analogy for church is the body of Christ. You read through the New Testament, any of the writings of the Apostle Paul, and you find that oftentimes he will talk about God's people and he'll use the term body of Christ. Now I want you to think about what that means. If Jesus is God's truth, if he is filled with the truth of God, and the disciples of Jesus are referred to as being his body, But what are the implications there? You see, when the church is described as the body of Christ, we begin to discover the fundamental identity of a church. A a community of those under the lordship of Christ who continue the work and ministry of Jesus. The church is called to be no less than a community that continues to embody the will and the truth of God. When Jesus became flesh... He becomes God's servant, working and and living among the social outcasts or the reprobates. We saw last week, he ran around touching those that no one else would touch. He ran into conflict with the authorities and the powers of his day. So if the church is to be understood as the body of Christ, then there's an obvious implication. As Jesus was in the world, you are to be in the world. You're his messenger. Living out God's word of grace and truth. John would write another message. 1 John chapter 2, he says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. It's an imperative that we embody the body of Christ. That if Jesus was here filled with grace and truth, that we then, as the called out people of God, as the body of Christ, seek also to live in that same grace and embody that same truth. And so then church, biblically speaking, is more than just getting truth right. Just getting your truth lined up and and believing all the right things. Being church means embodying God's intention for the world. Embodying God's intention for the world as revealed in Christ. It's not about showing the world how to become more religious, but showing the world how it's supposed to reflect the intentions of its creator. I like how Lee Camp in his book, Mere Discipleship, said, we might think of our role as analogous to that of a whistleblower. We declare to the world that what has been declared to be real or the way things are, or common sense, is in fact no such thing. Now think about that. As the people of God, we're the whistleblowers pointing out to all those around us saying, look, the things that the world says is real. The things that the world says, well, this is true. If it does not line up with Jesus, we say, no, it's not. That's fake. It's not truth. He says, instead, the church declares the kingdom of God is the most real, that the way things are is another name for rebellion, and that the wisdom of God revealed in a crucified Christ is the new common sense. Friends, there is truth for this world. 
and giving allegiance to that truth as we say that we're going to do here as a church family, holding to that truth as a non-negotiable value demands that we as the body of Christ echo the words and practices of Jesus. You see, as a community, we must not be afraid to declare the truth as witnessed in Jesus' life and teachings. And so we have to be able to stand up and say, you know what? Materialism is a barrier between us and God. We have to be able to say God's original intent is one man and one woman for one lifetime. We have to be willing to say, you know what? Every life matters. Born and unborn. We have to be willing to say that forgiveness of enemies is not optional. That living at peace with others is to be a lifelong pursuit. We have to be willing to say that God's kingdom is superior to any earthly kingdom and should be sought with reckless abandon. We have to be willing to say that inclusion is to be practiced over exclusion and that the church cannot build walls. We have to be willing to say that honesty is the best policy, that my generosity is to be others-focused. We have to be willing to say that there are times when we all have to check our heart. We have to realize that no one gets lost on purpose. We have to be willing to say, you know what, prayer is a priority and love is costly. We have to be willing to say that life is to be lived in the marketplace and we can't be afraid to touch and that we can't shriek away from living like Jesus. You see, you can hear and live the truth. He wouldn't ask you to get out of the boat if he didn't think that you could actually walk on the water. Now, nobody in here is going to be perfect in exemplifying the grace and truth of Jesus. I get that. But in our fellowship, even though we can expect some failure and resistance from ourselves and others, we understand that when we trip, we still get back up. I don't think anyone has ever tripped and said, that's it, I'm through walking. I'm not going to do it anymore. I fell down. Now there is that occasional three-year-old you see getting pulled to the mall. <laughs> he has that look on his face, I'm done, not going to do it again. We have been called to live out the truth of God as displayed in the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. That is who we are to be. We'll be perfect in that? No. But we trip and we get up and we keep following. The question similar to one that I asked last week is not, can I live like Jesus? The question is, will I live like Jesus? Not because my salvation depends on it, but because my marriage does. And because my relationship with my children does. And my personal health does. And my patience does. And my financial portfolio does. And the way I face death does. Jesus is the Word of God filled with grace and truth. He is the message. We are the messengers. And we must live as Jesus did. Because guys, our world is crying out for something for someone to believe in, for something or someone that's real and unchanging. Our world is crying out for truth. And Jesus Christ is that truth. He is the same yesterday, 
and today and forever. And so he's the answer for our world. He is the answer for our country. He is the answer for our region and state. He is the answer for Chattanooga. He is the answer for East Brainerd. He is the answer for your home. He is the answer for your deepest need. You see, planets come and planets go. But God's truth, as revealed in Jesus Christ and practiced by his body, the church, remains forever. Aren't you glad there's something, someone, that you can believe in? Father, there's so many things, so many voices that we hear. And those voices tell us that truth is relative, that things that we see are not real, that things that we hear cannot be believed. And there are just so many different different messages that are being sent out. My prayer is that we might be able to hear you more clearly. That we might be able to hear your truth as Jesus speaks. That we might see it displayed as he walks. And that we might be representatives and messengers of that truth. Give us the courage to blow the whistle. The courage to be able to say, you know what? No, there's, there's right and there's wrong. And rightness is seen in Jesus Christ. Give us the courage to be able to say, you know, there's some things that just don't change. Because Jesus never changes. Father, help us not to be ashamed of the truth. Allow it to be something that we are wrapped in, that we soak in or marinated in the more and more as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And Father, help us to put aside our own truth. Those things where we've determined, well, this is how things should be and this is the way things should be done. And instead, will we with just humility Will we speak where the Savior speaks? Will we walk where our Savior walks? Will we touch how our Savior touched? Will we live our lives in a way that will always bring honor and glory to you as we live out your grace and truth? Father, I'm thankful that your truth remains, that it is unchanged. I pray that as we bear witness to that truth, that we would see you more clearly and that others would come rushing to you, finally finding their deepest need. In the name of Jesus, your truth that we pray. Amen. I appreciate your kindness. 
as you have sat there this morning and listened as you've considered the different scriptures. My prayer is that, as you just heard, for all of us, that we would be the messengers of the truth that was revealed in Jesus Christ. That we would be witnesses of that truth. That we would believe in that truth so much that we would dedicate ourselves to it. And many of you have, but there are others of you who are here this morning that the idea of truth, it just sounds, I don't know, it it sounds a little bit hard to believe because of so many other voices that you have heard. And if you'd like to continue this conversation and learn more about the truth as it's revealed in Jesus on your own, I encourage you to read through John's gospel and, and see the way that he presents Jesus Christ. But I would also love to be able to have the opportunity to listen to any questions that you have, to to sit down and to to share conversation about the truth as revealed in Scripture as seen in, in Jesus Christ. You can talk to me after we get finished here today. If you'd like, I'll be out in the lobby or you can set up a time where we can get together later in the week. There is truth for this world. It's found in Jesus Christ and it's available for you today. Many times when we come together, we have those who say, you know what, I want to be baptized into Christ because of my belief in the truth of God. We have those who say, you know what, I want to confess my belief that Jesus is truly God's Son. And we offer that opportunity at the close of lessons like this. We have those who like to come and say, you know what, I, I have not been witnessing to the truth in my life. And I would like the prayers of this church family in order to, to be strengthened, to be more courageous in speaking out for truth. Whatever your need is, we're going to sing and encourage one another. We're going to, we're going to stand up. Don't get too close because everybody's got germs. But we're going to stand up and we're going to encourage each other. We're going to stretch a little bit and we're going to sing. And if you need to respond this morning to the truth, we encourage you to as together we stand and sing together.